His wife had just had their first baby. The magistrate's father, not a rich man, worked as an office manager in the social security department, and DM had married a typist. They lived in a modest apartment, three rooms and a kitchen, in the newest neighborhood in town. Shouldn't they have been able to understand each other? What was it, exactly, that frightened you that night? What answer could he give? Everything. Nothing in particular. Nicola hadn't turned the shop over to his mother and taken the train for no good reason. He hadn't come to Trion just to sit at a little table on the terrace of the Hotel des Voyageurs and drink some lemonade. When Tony had left the blue room, André was still naked on the bed and showed no sign of going anywhere soon. Did you consider Nicola a violent man? No. He was, however, a sick man who had been morose and withdrawn ever since childhood. Did you wonder, in Trion, if he might be armed? He hadn't thought of that. Were you afraid for your family? They weren't managing, he and DM, to use words that meant the same thing to them both, to place themselves on the same footing. They were always a little out of step with each other. Pencil in hand before a pile of invoices, he pretended to work, now and then placing a meaningless cross next to a number to look busy. Sitting at his feet, his daughter was playing with a toy car that had lost a wheel. Beyond the lawn and the white fence, he could see the road about twenty metres away, and across a meadow, the backs of some village houses, their yards and small gardens where dahlias were in bloom. In one spot, an enormous yellow sunflower with its black heart stood out brightly against a grey wall near a barrel. When he had come home, he had automatically checked the clock, 5.45. At 6.20, Giselle came to ask him, Can I start serving now? Maybe a little later. I'd like to finish this before dinner. I'm hungry, Pop. It won't take long, my pet. If I'm late, you'll sit down to eat with Mama. It was around then that he felt flooded by a panic unlike what he had felt earlier when clutching his clothes and dashing upstairs in the hotel. This was a heart-wrenching, bodily anguish, an abrupt rush of fever that forced him to go and stand by the window. When he lit a cigarette, his hand trembled, his legs felt shaky. A presentiment? He spoke to the psychiatrist about it, or rather, Professor Bigo persuaded him to discuss it. That had never happened to you before? No. Not even when by some miracle I survived a car accident unharmed, and yet that time when I came to, sitting in a field without a scratch, I began to cry. Were you afraid of Nicola? I always found him disturbing, somehow. Even back in school? As luck would have it, just before 6.30, the Citroen appeared at the top of the rise. It drove past the house with André at the wheel, her husband beside her, and neither of them looked in his direction. Ready when you are, Giselle. Then dinner is served. Go and wash your hands, Marianne. They had begun their evening meal as usual, soup, a ham omelette, salad, a camembert, and some apricots for dessert. 
Outside the windows lay the kitchen garden the couple tended together, where Marianne crouched for hours, pulling up weeds. The runner beans had reached the top of their poles. Behind the wire fencing of the henhouse, at least a dozen white leghorn hens were pecking away, and there were shadowy forms in the rabbit hutches. The day seemed to be winding down like any other summer day. A mild breeze came in through the open window with an occasional breath of cooler air. Fat Didier the blacksmith was still busy at his forge. Nature was calm and settling in for the night. Professor Bigo's questions almost always came out of the blue. Did you have the feeling from that evening on that you had lost her? Who? Andre. He was nonplussed because he hadn't thought of that at all. You'd been caught up for eleven months in what can certainly be called a grand passion. And that was not how he would have described it. He deserved.